0: This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Alexandra Hall. Alexandra Hall is the Research Group Director for Defence Security and Infrastructure at RAND Europe, Uh, and I should point out at the very beginning that I'm on RAND Europe's Council of Advisors. So, Alex, you've written recently this report on defence security after Brexit. Uh, What was the origin of the report in the first place?
1: Well, this report was a piece of work that was uh, internally funded by the RAND Corporation, and what we really wanted to do was think about the defence and security implications of the Brexit decision, or at least the possible implications, trying to take an evidence-based approach. So we have relevant documents and engaged with over 50 senior stakeholders to try and capture a whole range of views about uh, the defence and security implications of this decision
0: right it's true i think up, up until now the, the nine months since the brexit vote last june the debate has tended to be dominated by discussion on the economic impact of brexit on the uk economy obviously discussions about access to the single market uh, membership of the customs union and very little uh, t- if any at all uh, attention given to security and, and defense aspects so what what were your, your main findings in, in a nutshell of the report
1: um, well, they were very many and varied. I mean, I think I would agree with your, um, your assessment that Defence and Security received relatively little attention in the run-up to um, the referendum vote. I think it's received more in the, the months subsequently, and, and partly that's, um, that's been a, a response both in, in the UK and, and the EU. Um, I think what our th- thinking about... The research that we did, we looked at all sorts of things from impacts on defence spending to impacts on both the UK's role in defence and security and the EU's role in defence and security. We looked at um, the implications for the nuclear deterrent for um, Scotland, uh, the Scottish independence debate, and the impacts of that on defence and security, things like border security in Northern Ireland, counter terrorism, security collaboration, and a whole raft of other things. I think if, um, if I were to draw some high-level um, recommendations or at least observations from the work that we did, um, it's clear to us that um, the EU and the UK will continue to share common interests in defence and security, and neither stands to benefit from a weakening um, in the defence and security position of the other. So, I think um, we would very strongly counsel either side. Uh, in allowing um, defence and security to become the victim of a messy divorce, I think both both sides um, risk being uh, placed in a disadvantageous position if that's the case. So a zero approach, a zero sum approach to defence and security, is um, would be unwise and would risk a less secure UK and, and EU. Uh, the other thing I think there's a core observation of the work is that. What the UK is often perceived as a net contributor to European defence and security, being, uh, having the largest um, defence budget of the group and being one of only two nuclear powers, um, this is only a perception. And I think the report really warns against this being used as a bargaining chip in the, in the Brexit negotiations. Um, and similarly, the report advises against a punitive approach by EU leaders Um, to the UK in relation to to, to defence and security.
0: So both sides should behave themselves in a nutshell. Um, I I think so, yeah. Be grown up about it. But it's true, it's not in your report, but the politics, you know, of the triggering of Article 50 at the moment are not particularly... Uh, sort of uh give signs of optimism certainly we have of course i think if i'm right in saying it mrs may at the lancaster house speech a few weeks ago did say did of course indicate that she had a quite a hard approach now to to the brexit negotiations but uh, she did say if my memory serves me correctly that she wanted to be more cooperative certainly in the area your report is discussing since then of course since the lancaster House speech uh, uh, things seem to have gone down even further, and we have lots of issues now coming in. You know, these, we're about to trigger. Well, Mrs. May is about to trigger Article 50. We have the declaration by the Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon recently that calling for a second referendum. Uh, Independence referendum for Scotland uh, sometime next year or early 2019, Uh, and then the the EU 27 are gearing up. What seems to be quite a quite a tense discussion. Do you you share those in broad terms? It's not in your report, but you sense the current atmospherics are not particularly uh, propitious for the kind of things you say both sides should try to achieve.
1: Well, I think it's obviously a very difficult situation on both sides and I think there are some some core questions that both sides both the EU and the UK should be asking themselves at the moment before at and after the triggering of article 50 and I think from a defence and security perspective those questions are what sort of actor does the UK want to be post Brexit in terms of defence and security does it want to be a more engaged uh, more um Sort of globally wide-ranging defence and security actor, or does it want to, um, I suppose, consolidate its defence and security position to focus on its immediate neighbourhood or its immediate um, defence and security concerns? The same could be true, I think, of the EU. And thinking through uh, CSDP, the Common Security and Defence Policy, um, is the the potential shift towards greater defence integration of the European members? Really desirable is it really achievable? if it is, how can it be taken forward in a meaningful way and I think whilst the negotiations themselves will obviously be challenging at times uh, whilst uh, um, you know there will be um, very difficult discussions to be had I think questions such as this should be at the very core of both sides approach to these negotiations?
0: It seems to be a paradox though that the as you hinted also in an earlier answer that the UK sees itself very much very much and maybe rightly so as a major security player uh, in the EU context as it is a major defence player in, in the NATO context uh, and yet some you know what is happening also is some some key member states uh, are saying well Thank goodness for Brexit, or let's use Brexit uh, as an opportunity for us, EU27, to push ahead with a European Defence Union, whatever uh, security union, uh, and without the necessary the need for you know the, the UK to be part of or certainly use the opportunity uh, where otherwise the UK will be getting in the way. Do you, do you see that?
1: Well, I think you could approach that question in a number of in a number of ways. I mean, quite clearly, um, there are strong proponents for closer defence integration in the EU. And they may view the removal of of the UK as being an enabler here, where the UK has often been seen as a blocker, or a a sort of troublesome troublesome and and vocal member. Um, On the other hand, uh, I think there is some argument to suggest that some European states have used the British... Uh, reluctance, shall we say, about um, closer defence integration as a bit of an alibi, and have sort of hidden behind that position, is perhaps putting it too strongly, but have have taken advantage of the fact that they've been able to, to get behind the UK, um, given their own concerns about Closer integration about the, the scope for perhaps um, duplicating with NATO, the difficulties around apportioning more money for defence, which which we know are, are a real problem for some for some countries. So um, I think it could go it could go either way.
0: Right. Well, again, going back to the politics or the procedural aspects of, of Brexit and the divorce or the separation, whatever you want to call it, we have a situation, as you know as well as I do, where the triggering Article Fifty sometime between now and the end of, of March is done by these made by the the prime minister uh, and then there's a discussion immediately on things like budget commitments budget liabilities of the uk towards its eu partners uh, and and issues such as you know rights of EU nationals in the UK, rights of UK nationals in the rest of Europe, and then possibly, if people are of goodwill, uh, a parallel discussion, subject to the constraints of the wording of Article 50, about what people call the future relationship. But people tend to mean by that the future trading relationship of uh, between the UK and the EU post Brexit. So all that means that a lot of discussion will be taken up by those issues in a relatively short period of time, uh, less than two years, we know by the, all that by now. And so my question is, in that context, where is the space, where is the time, where is the, 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 the brain capacity to discuss the, these issues that you're talking about in your report?
1: Well, I think that's a very real concern, and actually it is something that we pointed to in the in the report itself, was that given the intellectual bandwidth that will be required to absorb the whole range of issues that Brexit will trigger, um, the UK and European capacities to be strategically agile, not only to think through these very pressing immediate questions, but also to respond to things that may happen externally, is going to be very severely reduced. And I think it's therefore important to probably build on evidence-based assessments to prioritise the right things, to prioritise the things that really do need to be dealt with immediately. Now, our work suggests that actually it's security rather than defence that is going to be most immediately and most rapidly challenged by Brexit, and that's perhaps because um, the nation-state is still the principal actor on defence, and so... um, there is less kind of interconnectedness and less interdependence when Mm. it comes to defence, whereas in security uh, things like information sharing, intelligence sharing, mechanisms such as the European arrest warrant have had very real and meaningful positive impacts um, for both the UK and the EU. Now I think some very early thinking has to go into how those security dimensions can be adequately covered and that requires more than just political will, which I, I do believe exists on both sides. That really requires careful thought um, and prioritisation uh, and lots of people have said well security is too big to fail we'll find a way around well that may be however in a time of uh, when resources are constrained anyway and they may if there is an economics economic slowdown become more constrained um, that sort of duplication perhaps overlap um, will be unacceptable and, and it seems that things could fall through the cracks so I think it, a long answer to your question, but actually I think given the intellectual bandwidth that will be required to tackle these issues, early prioritisation of those things that need to be addressed and that can be addressed will be essential.
0: When you started the, your research, you and your fellow researchers, did you more or less know what you wanted to, to find, as it were, and just wanted to, to do the research to, to back things up with, with evidence, as it were, or were there findings that you dug up during the course of your research, you and your colleagues, that, that actually surprised you, that you weren't expecting?
1: I don't think there were any major surprises and and actually when we started the research we were motivated because we felt that there had been a lack of very thorough evidence-based appreciation of some of these issues. So we wanted to go some way to filling that gap Um, and many of the the conclusions that we drew from the report were the conclusions that we perhaps would have expected to draw. I think one thing that was very stark throughout the conduct of the research was this divide, this lacuna that has opened up between the electorate in the UK and in other um, member states of the European Union and the social policy elites. And I think that's something that will endure not just in relation to defence and security but but more broadly across the whole um, topic of policy the whole spectrum of policy topics and I think that was something we were very profoundly struck by throughout our research.
0: Okay, maybe a final question then uh, Alex. You said at the beginning that uh, this was a kind of internally commissioned work, you wanted to do it to yourself as it were, that's what you just said in your last answer you felt there was a gap which has not been sufficiently addressed, in your opinion. Um, normally, when, when RAN does research, as I understand it, commissioned by the European Commission, the European Parliament, a National Ministry, whatever, your your clients, in effect, the, the people who commission your work, have an idea, sort of, what they want to do with, with your research once you delivered your report and have a kind of a communication strategy attached to that or something. Since this was internally commissioned, what, what is your desired outcome from the re- report you produced?
1: Well, the, the mission of the around the corporation is to is to help um, policymakers make more effective policy decisions using evidence based research and analysis. And as I said, we felt there was something of a deficit in that area in relation to this topic in particular. And so we hoped in doing this work that we would be able to furnish policymakers in the UK, within the institutions of the EU and within the member states of the EU with a uh, a deeper, more granular level of analysis than may have um, existed to date on this topic to really help inform the negotiation process, to help them think through the big questions of what does an EU post-Britain look like and what does a Britain post-EU look like right. in order to be able to to make more effective decisions and to, to prepare adequately for a, for a highly uncertain future.
0: Okay, we have to leave it there. Alexandra Hall, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Oh,